Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 14 They pitched their camp about a mile outside of Hamlet at the base of a small ridge. Hopefully, that would prevent the smoke from their fire drawing attention and questions, like why travelers were camping so close to a town with roofs and feather mattresses. Frankly, Baz would have settled for just the roof. He'd never had a feather mattress anyway, but circumstances had changed. I still don't understand, Deliritus said. So what if it gets around that I left my speaker in Hamlet? Won't that just make news of my success? Deliritus trailed off, face reddening. Well, the Torchsire success, anyway. At the trials, all the greater? That it was done without the use of spoken books? That'll be a tale that's told for years to come if you were to pull it off, young Bastion. Baz shook his head. It seemed the burgundy cloak wasn't responsible for Deliritus's thick-headedness. He wasn't wearing it, and yet he still acted as if reality was behind an opaque windowpane, rather than right there before his nose. Deliritus, let me put it this way. How often do you review reports of news from Hamlet? Deliritus scrunched his forehead in thought. After Baz had finished bribing the shopkeeper to keep his mouth shut, it had occurred to Baz to ask him for some willow bark. It seemed to have taken the edge off the worst of Deliritus's pain, though he was still pale as porcelain that had just been dropped on a stone floor. Every month, I suppose, Deliritus said. It's the only consistent way we get news of cityless movements north of Erstwhile and news of the rare Enigman trading caravan down from the icy heights always gets to us first by way of Hamlet. Yes, Baz said, giving an exaggerated nod. And how do you think those reports are generated before coming to you? Well, Deliritus said, frowning in the face of Baz's mockery, naturally, we have scouts who travel to and from Hamlet who speak with the... Oh, I see. Yeah, They'll be talking about how that Torchsire kid with the short, dark hair dropped off his blonde-haired speaker and went off to complete the trials with just his harbor for support, which will be a grand story until someone puts together that I don't have blonde hair, or a mouth that won't stop flapping. Is that really necessary? Deliritus demanded. What? The way you must always insist on insulting me when you speak. Maybe I'm not another Actus Torchsire, but I do try, and I've bent over backward over the years to keep your life pleasant. Keep my life pleasant, Baz said, voice quiet. If that's what you think, what I think is that Hellar and Marla are monsters when compared to me, my young Bastion. Now, 
You have your place in society, and I have mine, but at least I'm half decent to you. You could at least give me a drop or two of civility now and again. Baz glared at Deliritus, mostly because he was worried the Torchsire heir might actually be right. Not that Baz thought he owed Deliritus a blasted thing, not after what he'd done to tax, but maybe he could at least keep the name-calling to a minimum. Of course, as soon as that thought occurred to Baz, Deliritus had to go and open his mouth again. I suppose this means our deal is off. What? Baz's heart began hammering. Was it just his imagination, or had Rox shifted his weight in a manner that'd make reaching his razor easier? Well, there's no other good place to leave me, so we can't very well go on with the plan of you completing the trials without me. Deliritus's eyes began to drift to Rox. Now wait just a minute, Baz said, with more urgency than he'd intended. Do you really think you'll be able to complete the trials with just rocks to drag your useless body all the way to Tome and back? Deliritus glowered. Of course not. That's why we'll have to turn back now for erstwhile. Oh, come on, Deliritus, Baz said, mind racing. This is the trials we're talking about. You've been dreaming of them since I was old enough to remember. You're just going to give up? Just like that? Deliritus gritted his teeth. I can't even stand on my own bastion. What else would you have me do? Stop crying about it for starters, Baz said, sounding far more confident than he felt. After that willow root, Rox got you off your horse without you screaming. No one said this would be easy, but chew enough of that stuff and you can press on. Deliritus averted his eyes like a chastened child. Scolded by my own speaker, he muttered. You'd make my father proud. Baz was halfway to opening his mouth to continue his criticisms, but being compared to the Duke made him feel ill, and he clamped his mouth shut over a sudden urge to gag. The silence actually seemed to work, though, as Deliritus's pouting expression slowly transformed to one of resolve. Yes the Torchsire heir said. I can do this. He studied Baz for a time. But what reason do I have to maintain our bargain? I'll just have Rox force you to assist me if you refuse. Baz's eyes darted to the harbor. Rox hadn't moved, but his posture was tense, as if ready to spring into action at a moment's notice. Baz felt the blood drain from his face, the nausea in his stomach growing. When words came to him, they were strained and rushed by anxiety. I'd make your life a nightmare if you take that route. How many more sleepless nights do you think rocks could endure guarding me before he had to sleep? And what do you think I'd do to you then? In all likelihood, what he'd do was run like a coward. After what he'd done to Arrow, Baz knew he had no stomach at all for murder but Deliritus didn't know that. He'd spent most of his life worrying Baz would seek revenge against him, and if it kept Deliritus from condemning him for being a cuss, Baz would let him believe just about anything. The Torchsire air bit at his lower lip, any color that the willow root had brought back to his face draining away. Rox's knuckles cracked on the handle of his razor, 
but Deliritus held up a weary hand to the harbor. "'What do you propose?' he asked, voice indicating that he couldn't believe this was happening. "'That makes two of us,' Baz thought, before quickly saying, "'Same terms. I'll help you finish the trials. You don't tell I can read. Simple. You still need me to do your legwork, as it were.' Baz tried to smile. He despised Deliritus, but overtly threatening him was uncomfortable all the same. Deliritus didn't return the smile, though. Either he didn't grasp the joke, or was too angry to be amused. Fine, the Torchsire heir said, but give me my cloak back. Absolutely, Baz said, and you give me mine. Rocks visibly relaxed as they exchanged garments. Baz immediately felt better having Liana's cloak back around his shoulders. And the hat, Deliritus said. No reason for you to wear that now. Baz ran a hand over the cap he'd just acquired in Hamlet. I think I'll keep the hat. I rather like it. Deliritus opened his mouth, seemed to think better of it, and instead muttered, Insolent page-burner. Ordinarily, such an insult would have heated Baz's blood, but something suddenly struck him, and he grinned at Deliritus. It's funny. What's that? Deliritus said, still shaking his head and muttering. We had rocks cut up your forehead for no reason. Deliritus stared daggers at him from across the fire. Baz held up his hands in mock self-defense. Perhaps we should go over your plans for getting to Tome, he said. I'd been hoping to discuss them in a warm room at the Hamlet Inn, but I suppose here by the fire we'll have to do. Deliritus's expression didn't soften, but he nodded. In my saddlebags, there's a map. Bring it over to me. Baz repressed the urge to take umbrage over taking yet another command from Deliritus. He retrieved the map and brought it back to Deliritus. Since Deliritus couldn't move, Baz had to sit right beside him with the map spread across their laps. So we're here, Deliritus said, pointing at a small cluster of squares with triangles on top, representing Hamlet. There weren't any words on the map, of course. They might be trying to work together, but Deliritus wasn't about to show Baz any actual words. The map showed Hamlet situated at a crossroads, one tine of the fork continued north across the Inkwell River and through the Emerald Woods before curling west toward Tome. The other branched off west from Hamlet and then slowly curved back north. So, we know from your shopkeeper that Marla is taking the safer route through the Emerald Woods and Hellar is heading west. Deliritus pursed his lips in thought. I'm tempted to say we should take the safe route through the Emerald Woods, but... But what? Baz demanded. That seemed the obvious decision to him, and the last thing Baz needed was Deliritus coming up with a plan that further risked his continued breathing. Well, Deliritus said, his tone making plain that Baz was already trying his patience again. Two things. One, Marla still has her harbor and speaker whereas Hellar only has his influencer left to him. If we run into one of them, I'd rather it be Hellar down a harbor than Marla at full strength. Baz grunted. 
not as ill thought out as he'd expected. And two, I know heading west through the reach, then up through the firelands is perilous, but it's also a lot shorter than going through the woods. The way through Emerald Woods takes you well north of Tome before having to double back, and with my leg... Despite the pain-killing bark, Deliritus's face turned white. Well, the less I need to travel, the better. Baz remained silent, once more because it seemed Deliritus had actually said something that was correct, and he didn't know how to express the sentiment aloud. Finally, he settled for saying, Fine. So what do you have in mind for getting us across the Reach and Firelands in as few pieces as possible? Deliritus frowned. Bastion, give me some credit. I've only been preparing for the trials my entire life. I have given it some thought, after all. Great, then let's hear your plan that's years in the making. Deliritus looked up to the sky for a moment, as if seeking strength from the scribes. Baz resisted a sudden urge to punch Deliritus in the leg, though the sound of Rox's breathing just over his shoulder forestalled that thought. Your teeth could do with a brushing, Rox, Deliritus said over his shoulder. The sound of the massive man's breathing ceased for a moment. Then he let out a snort that was as close to a laugh as Baz had ever heard him come. That was too much for him. He burst out laughing as well. Whether at the pure absurdity of the situation, him hip-to-hip with Deliritus, a map draped over them like a blanket as if they were two necking lovers, and rocks, the ugliest chaperone ever to boot, or simply as a defense mechanism to not cry at the seeming hopelessness of the situation, Baz couldn't be certain. But it felt good to laugh. It was a rare occasion he found that warranted it. Deliritus stared at Baz as if he'd gone mad. Maybe he had. Only a loon would contemplate some of the things he'd already done on this trip, and they hadn't even gotten to the truly dangerous parts yet. Rox snorted again. If we're saying truths, then you need a bath, little Dell. Baz couldn't help it. He was on the ground, laughing so much his newly acquired hat fell off, his sides aching. What? Deliritus demanded. Baz took several deep breaths, then looked over to Deliritus, still lying on the ground. Little Dell? He started cackling again, tears streaming from his eyes. He really was losing it. Oh, come now, Bastion. He's known me since I was a child. And look at him. Everyone is little compared to him. Deliritus let out a small chuckle of his own. And don't think your stink has escaped notice either. We all need a bath in the inkwell as soon as we reach it. Baz got a hold of himself. Somehow he felt better. Less fatalistic, if only a little. Tax would likely say there was power in laughter, just as there was power in words. Well, perhaps he'd be right. Maybe he did need a bath but the laughter had washed away Baz's gnawing doubt as surely as hot water cleanses filth. All right, all right, Baz said, retrieving his hat and pushing himself back over to Deliritus, wiping tears from his eyes. Please, press on, reader of mine. Tell me what I can expect in the days and weeks ahead. 
Deliritas laughed again. It's not overly complicated, he said. The most dangerous part is the other readers, as you've already seen. That robbed him of his smile. I have known that, by the way. Just because I tried to give them every benefit of the doubt doesn't mean I was blind to their threat. He stared at Baz, silent for a moment, as if waiting for him to voice a challenge. But somehow, after sharing a laugh with Deliritus, he no longer felt the urge to insult him after every third sentence he spoke. So Baz only shrugged. I failed my oath, little Dell, Rox said. I am sorry. Deliritus turned to pat Rox on one of his massive knees. No apology needed, Rox. They got the jump on all of us. Not a mistake we'll make again, I wager. But... No, Rox, I won't have it. I'm the one who told you to get some sleep. Even you are useless if you can't keep your eyes open. It was my fault for not realizing until too late that Hellar's influencer was lulling me to a false slumber, and that's that. Understood? Do the words, uh, mean what they mean? Rox grumbled in assent. They mean what they mean. Good. So, the plan. Obviously, first obstacle is the reach. We might be there as early as tomorrow. That's worm country. They're fierce buggers, but they keep mostly to themselves, so long as you don't disturb their nests. Keep to the road, and we should be good. And worst case, and we have to fight one, well, I brought a couple books with water spells. He held up a hand to forestall Baz's objection. I know we haven't worked much with water over the years. I have several fire books as well. They eat freshly charred wood, you know, so I figure if the water doesn't work to douse their fire breathing, we can set some trees on fire and make a run for it while they're distracted. Baz nodded. Seemed sensible enough. Right. Then we crossed the inkwell and we're into the firelands. Time to worry about the worm's bigger brothers. Dragons. Ugh, Baz groaned. He'd been pretending this part of the journey didn't exist. Never fear, young Bastion. I've brought cloaks and horse blankets that ought to blend us right into the landscape. Chances are we won't even encounter a fire breather. And these days, most fire breathers aren't much bigger than large birds anyway. Baz frowned at the Lyritus, some of that desire to criticize already creeping back into him. Your plan seems to depend an awful lot on simply hoping we don't encounter the things that are dangerous. Hope for the best, plan for the worst, Deliritus said brightly. I also brought the book we use to heat the air until it turns to water. Have you ever noticed how when we cast that spell near a fire, the fire goes out? Baz nodded. Then, when Deliritus only stared at him, he thought on it a little more. Oh, Baz said. That's not half bad. You figured to cast that at the dragon to stop it from breathing fire? Could work. It's a really short spell, so we could just repeat it over and over. Maybe you could even let me speak it without the stop rune. Deliritus lowered his eyebrows. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, Bastion. I still think what you've been hiding all these years is... Let's not start on that again, Baz interrupted. Stopping the dragons from frying us is all well and good, but they could also just step on us or rip us to shreds. Deliritus regarded him sullenly for another moment, 
obviously thinking about the fact that Baz was a cuss. But finally, he relented and said, Well, in all likelihood, we won't come across any dragons that massive. Not saying it's impossible, but ever since the burning, they've had less and less food, gotten smaller. There's still plenty of them, but most are small enough that rocks could fight them. Mm-hmm, Baz said. And what if we do find a big one? Deliritus shrugged. We run. Right, Baz grumbled. Right, Deliritus agreed. So, once we're through the Firelands, it's just the Weeping Plains. Dragons stay away from there. The scribe's old power still holds them back. Biggest worry will be avoiding the bands of Sidulus who live there. I brought some concealment spells for that. And then it's Tome, and we search for books, and try not to let the crumbling ruins fall on us. Any questions? Baz had plenty of doubts, but no real questions, so they rolled up the map and lay down to sleep shortly thereafter. He had to admit, Deliritus did seem to have things thought out pretty well, which concerned Baz. He wasn't accustomed to anything going right. Was it possible this might actually work? He still clung to some of the optimism from his earlier laughing fit, and that permitted him to at least ignore worry long enough to fall asleep. Still, he doubted things would go half as well as Deliritus thought they would. Chapter 15 It's said plans rarely survive contact with the enemy. Baz had little standing to comment on the veracity of that statement. He'd no experience with war, and the only person he'd ever really considered an enemy was Deliritus. But Baz didn't need to be an expert in, well, anything to see that Deliritus's plans didn't even survive past the morning of the following day. Deliritus was shaking Baz awake after what felt like only moments asleep. Moments he'd apparently spent atop yet another rock, judging by the pain in his back. But Rox already had the horses ready to go, so there was nothing to do but help Deliritus into the saddle and mount his own horse. Deliritus tossed Baz a dry biscuit, which he nearly dropped since he was only half awake. He ate it in silence, glaring at the back of Deliritus's head as if it might make up for having been woken up so early. The first few hours on the road were uneventful. Deliritus had been close to his normally cheery self to start. After all, he was accustomed to waking up with the sun for lessons and meetings and whatever other important things readers did, and he was likely drawing energy from his renewed opportunity to complete the trials. But as the hours pressed on, he fell into a sullen silence, his leg obviously bothering him. Rox would constantly scout short distances ahead, looking for danger, then circle back. Since this meant losing the comfort of Rox's protection for short periods, Deliritus had his portable lectern hanging around his neck, Book of Fire Spells at the ready. After maybe Rox's twentieth cycle of scout and return, he pulled up in front of Deliritus and Baz. Road blocked ahead. What's that? Deliritus asked. Blocked, you say? Come now, can't be that bad. I know we're near the reach, but we send men out on a regular basis to ensure the roads stay clear. Aside from the trials, there was little reason for travelers to take this road, as it only led to the long-dead city of Tome. 
so it would have been more of a surprise to Baz if those men didn't skip this part of the road now and again. But he saw no gain in voicing that opinion. The words mean what they mean, was all Rox said in reply. Deliritus rolled his eyes. Come on, lead the way, Rox. Let's see what we have to deal with. It was only a short way down the road. As soon as Baz saw it, he knew it couldn't have occurred naturally. A dozen or so tree trunks that had obviously been cut down by axes lay across the road, with various detritus piled atop them. They were nearing the reach where the woods thinned to a barren wasteland of charred stumps and dry earth that marked the outer radius of the destruction that had exploded forth from Tome on the day of the burning, but here it was still dense forest on either side of the blocked road. Deliritus glowered at the blockage. Ripped pages, he muttered. Must be the cityless, trying to keep us from their settlements outside Tome. They've done a decent job of it, I'd say. Baz hopped down from his horse and gave a couple of the logs experimental pushes. They didn't give an inch. No way we could safely get the horses across this, and we can't just ride around. Rocks? Deliritus motioned toward the logs. The harbor lumbered over and attempted to lift one of the fallen trees. He actually got it about a foot off the ground before letting it crash back to the ground. Rox shook his head. Too heavy. We could burn them, I suppose, Baz said. Don't be silly, Bastion. We'd likely burn half the forest down and smoke ourselves out. No, we'll just have to go off the road, into the trees. Baz eyed the nearby wood. It seemed peaceful enough, but these were the wilds of oration, dangerous under ordinary conditions, and they were near the reach and its malevolent creatures. Deliritus, however, was apparently not prepared to arrive at a democratic decision. He turned his horse and urged it off the road and into the trees. Rox swung up onto his mount and was right behind Deliritus only moments later, cursing, Baz scurried up onto his horse and followed. It was slow going over the uneven terrain. A horse was likely to stumble and break a leg at anything faster than a slow trot. Still, there were actually the makings of a narrow path through the trees, as if this way had been traveled by others in the past, and for a time everything seemed to be going just fine, which ought to have been the first warning sign. Baz had thought things were going fine when Tax had started teaching him to read all those years ago, and when he'd been out on a simple errand for Deliritus to pick up supplies for him and Delida, not Baz, to go on the trials, and when they'd spent those first five days with Hellar and Marla in relative peace, and when they'd agreed on the plan to leave Deliritus in Hamlet. Things never actually went fine. What's that over there? Baz looked up from his ruminations. Deliritus was pointing at a bunch of long sticks stacked against one another, as if someone was preparing to light a pyre. Rox held up a hand to the two of them, then dismounted and walked toward the sticks to investigate, razor at the ready. He didn't make it to the sticks. Maybe half a dozen paces away from them, the ground gave away beneath his feet, and Rox fell from view. Rox! Deliritus cried out, 
moving as if he meant to get off his horse before a grimace of pain lit his face and he curled in upon himself. Baz, Deliritus cried through a mask of pain, go check on him. Baz made no immediate move to comply. He was most certainly not equipped for this sort of thing. There were a dozen things he could think of in forests that could lead to a quick cessation of his breathing, and those weren't even what scared him. It was the hundreds of other things he didn't know about. Baz! Deliritus cried again. Baz might still not have paid Deliritus any heed, but so strong was the worry in his tone that Baz automatically looked at him before his mind fully registered what he was doing. Come on, Deliritus said. I know rocks doesn't mean much to you, but out here it's as much your loss as mine if we don't have him protecting us. Baz scowled. Fine, but let's at least be prepared. Have a spell ready. Fire streamers, maybe? That was one intended more for entertainment than doing harm. Short and quick, it would allow Baz to shoot narrow gouts of flame from his hands. It wouldn't do much more than singe a coat sleeve unless someone was directly in front of Baz, but it would probably frighten any animals that might try to attack them. That's what Baz hoped, anyway. Deliritus nodded to him, opening the book on his podium and turning to the proper page. Baz dismounted and stepped slowly over to the spot where rocks had disappeared, testing the ground with each step before placing his weight down. When he was within a few feet of the hole in the ground, he called Rox's name. In reply, a sound like a father shushing a small child came from the hole. What's that, Rox? More of the same sound, but no words. Frowning, Baz edged closer to the hole, then looked down. There was Rox, his bald head reflecting the sun that came through the canopy overhead. He seemed to be in one piece, though he was standing very still and looking at... Baz stumbled back from the lip of the drop so quickly that he fell over backward. Scrambling up, he sprinted back to Deliritus. What is it, Baz? Panting, it took Baz a second to respond. Finally, he managed to choke out. We have a problem. Alright, welcome to another episode of D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is Sunday, April 3rd, 2022. As I record this, I uh, got caught up with a couple other things this week, so special Sunday recording session here today. I actually did the narration uh, a few days <coughs> uh, before this, so uh, if, I look <laughs> if I look slightly different now, that's why. It's a different day. Uh, all right, so quick personal update, and then we will uh, do our discussion of chapters 14 and 15 here. Um, my drafting of part four of the Spoken Books Uprising is in full swing now. I'm uh, 26,000 words and change into the first draft and kind of picking up steam here, getting into the meat of the story. Uh, it's, it's really kind of amazing to see how... Uh, all the characters have grown and changed 
since the first book here, uh, which obviously we are currently working through on the podcast. Uh, and I'm excited to uh, continue to share their journey with all of you um, out there. So lots of lots of exciting storytelling still to come here for all, all my listeners. Uh, I've also been continuing my half marathon training. I know I've mentioned that here on the podcast uh, once or twice. Uh, it's been a tough couple of weeks, <laughs> for it to be honest. Kind of uh, poor weather here in western New York combined with some weekend obligations. Haven't gotten in as many long runs as I would like, but I uh, did get seven and a half miles in yesterday, which is uh, about 12 kilometers for uh, the non-U.S. listeners out there. Uh, you know, not sure if I'm going to be in good enough shape to hit my uh, two-hour and ten-minute goal, but uh, just try to keep in perspective how kind of incredible it is that I'm even at this point where I'm talking about a time goal for a half, <laughs> a half marathon. A few years ago, I couldn't even run down my driveway, so... Uh, definitely good to keep things in perspective and see how far uh, you have come. <coughs> uh, yeah, that's one reason I like running too. I, uh, I kind of look at it in some ways as sort of an analogy for my writing. Uh, it's kind of slow and steady work over a long period, and you'll see improvement. You know, as in running, uh, that also works in writing. If you think about writing your entire book or an entire series, it's kind of crushing to think about. It's just totally overwhelming. So you really just got to focus on the one run or the one writing session at a time and then repeat that day after day. Uh, consistency is the key to success in many instances, and that's uh, certainly the rule I live by here, both with my running and my writing. Um, and then finally, we are less than two weeks away now from the release of Declaimer's Discovery, which is part two of the Spoken Books Uprising. Um, if any of you out there would like to help me out uh, for no cost to you at all, um, I'm looking for more folks to post reviews of the Actus Trials uh, on all the various websites, you know, particularly Amazon, just because that's still the biggest retailer out there uh, for books. Uh, you know, part one is kind of the gateway that's going to get readers into the rest of the series. So having the social proof of all those reviews <clears throat> on part one is important to kind of convince people uh, to pick it up and then kind of get sucked into the world of oration here. So if you have a minute to spare and uh, you wouldn't mind leaving a quick review, I would really appreciate it. Um, I would say at this point, if you have been following along with the podcast, you are probably qualified to say a few words about the book. Uh, at this point. So um, if you'd consider doing that, it would help me out a lot, and I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, so chapters 14 and 15. Obviously, we will start with 14 here. Our first section this week is Reality is Behind an Opaque Window. Uh, we pick up pretty much right where we left off last week, Baz, Deliritus, and Rox have camped just outside of Hamlet, you know, Baz is uh, lamenting uh, not having a roof over his head. Uh, just fix a typo here in the script. Uh, not having the roof over his head, but after learning that Marla was uh, offering a reward to anyone who would give info about Baz's whereabouts, you know, he, he can't stay in town, right? <laughs> and this has kind of ruined their plan, too. Uh, they can't stay in town if there's a chance one of the townsfolk reveals to Marla that Deliritus has a darked, dark shaved hair and his speaker 
has long blonde hair, right? That uh, that incongruity is uh, is going to become apparent once that story gets out. Um, so leaving Leertus behind in uh, Hamlet is not going to be an option here. You know, Baz also points out to Deliritus here that you know Erstwhile frequently sends scouts out to Hamlet to gather news, so they would hear about the description of Deliritus as a speaker and put together that Deliritus hadn't gone to Tome. Uh, so the plan is out the window, and what are they going to do now? Well, uh, I suppose this means the deal is off, Deliritus says. Uh, you know, he tries to break off their deal, figuring he's just going to have to uh, go back uh, to Erstwhile now. Uh, you know, but Baz can't let that happen, right? Uh, so he, he kind of uh, continues his subtle manipulation here of Deliritus playing on uh, playing on how important he knows Deliritus feels the trials are to his individual and his family's success. You know, you've dreamed of this for as long as I've known you. Stop crying about it, <laughs> Baz tells him. Kind of uh, the role reversal here. Usually it's the, uh, the reader uh, criticizing their speaker, uh, but other way around here. You know, uh, scolded by my own speaker, you make my father proud, Deliritus <laughs> says, kind of abashed here. Um, and, uh, Baz also got him some painkillers, right? So, uh, those can potentially help Deliritus keep going. Uh, you know, and Baz points out too, you know, I'll make your life real difficult, uh, Deliritus, if you try to back out of the deal here. <laughs> and you also need me to do your, uh, your legwork for you. <laughs> kind of a silly joke there. Remember, Deliritus has a, has a broken leg, so, uh, Baz always you know, he can never resist throwing in the uh, kind of the snarky <coughs> comment. But after all that, Bass convinces Deliritus they should go on. They kind of exchange cloaks back. Remember, Bass had had dressed up <laughs> as Deliritus, but now they can go back to their normal outfit. So Bass gets Liana's cloak back, and that makes him feel better. And he's keeping the hat, though, right? You know, I rather like the hat. Uh, you know, insolent page burner, <laughs> Deliritus says. But, you know, no, Deliritus doesn't uh, put his foot down. He's letting Baz keep the uh, the hat here. So, um, you know, plans have changed here. All three of them are going to try to continue on as originally uh, expected to go try to get to Tome. Um, kind of an interesting behind-the-curtain moment here. I when I was initially writing, I thought I was just going to leave uh, Deliritus behind here <clears throat> at Hamlet and kind of continue the story with uh, Baz and Rox going off together. But, you know, I kind of enjoyed the relationship that was building between Baz and Deliritus so much that <clears throat> I decided I needed to figure out a way to keep the two of them together. And uh, this is this is the result. Marla kind of uh, coming out of the woodwork here and offering money for for news to force Baz to take his plan in another direction. So we get to stay with Deliritus here uh, here longer. Okay, so uh, they begin to go over Deliritus's plans for getting to Tome. This is the, the Little Dell section of the analysis. Um, you know, first, they decide to go the shorter but more dangerous way, which initially Baz uh, is not thrilled about at all. <laughs> you know, he thinks, thinks uh, Deliritus is kind of being an idiot here again for a minute. 
Oh, geez, why would we pick the more dangerous way? But uh, Deliritus actually has good reasons here. He's thought it out. Uh, you know, that's the way Hellar went, and he doesn't have a harbor anymore. So, well, let's, if we're going to run into one of the other competitors, let's run into the one who's not at full strength. Plus, since it's shorter and Deliritus has uh, the broken leg, you know, as much travel time as they can save as possible is preferable. Then we, uh, sorry, so we establish we're, we're going the more dangerous route, uh, but the shorter route. Then we get this kind of lighthearted moment between all three of them, where they're basically kind of <laughs> insulting one another about how they, uh, how they smell, <laughs> and they're all they all end up laughing together. Even, even rocks. So interesting to see that the relationship is certainly shifting here. Um, not that Baz is willing to kind of admit that to himself. He's still in uh, he's still in denial about how he feels <clears throat> about the Lyritus, um, and rocks, but certainly. Uh, at the beginning of the book, we wouldn't have thought the three of them would be sharing a laugh together like they did <clears throat> in this chapter. You know, we even learned that Rox has this pet name for Deliritus, right? Little Del. <laughs> and uh, he's also upset about failing his oath to keep Deliritus safe by letting Marla and Hellar successfully uh, attack them. But Deliritus won't have that, won't have Rox feeling sorry for himself. It was as much Deliritus' fault as Rox's Deliritus says and you do you know you see the dynamic between the pair of them too you know how there's some i think uh legitimate uh you know care between the two of them not just a master servant relationship between deliritus and rocks almost like rocks is kind of like a a bigger brother to deliritus just like baz has his own bigger brother right so more of the kind of foil between Deliritus and Baz <clears throat> going on there, between Rox and Deliritus. Um, right, so Deliritus lays out his plan for getting them to Tome safely. You know, first they're going to have to go through the Reach, which is kind of like the outer boundary of where the burnings um, damage reached, thus the Reach, <laughs> right? Um, so this is Worm Country. Um, but worms generally keep to themselves, we, uh, we are told, um, you know, and if they encounter them, they can be dealt with with fire and water spells. Uh, they apparently breathe fire, so throwing some water at them might make sense. And they also, uh, uh, they eat charred wood, right? Which, uh, if any of you have read, uh, The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, you will <laughs> see the, uh, the kind of uh, homage here to uh, the Dracus, which are kind of the dragon-like creatures. In Patrick Rothfuss's world, they eat charred wood as well. <laughs> so it's kind of a, a cute little reference here. Um, but okay, so worms, it seems like no, they probably shouldn't be too big of a deal. But then uh, once we get past the Reach, we get to the Firelands, which is where the dragons live or the, quote, fire breathers uh, you know, Deliritus has brought camouflage for them to use to kind of just blend in with the terrain. Um, you know, it also reveals that most dragons are pretty small these days. You know, rocks could actually probably <clears throat> fight them. He also has this spell that he mentions that heats the air until it turns to water, which they can kind of use to keep the dragon from breathing fire. Um, you know, how does that work? Um, obviously, I'm not getting into much science here, but basically it's a spell that creates condensation, right? So you remove the 
oxygen from the air to produce water. And, uh, you know, I guess if there's no oxygen <clears throat> in the air, you can't have fire. Um, so kind of a little science-based spell here. Uh, would this actually work in real life? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> but I thought it sounded cool. And, you know, at least the idea of putting uh, moisture into the air makes sense for taking away a dragon's ability to breathe fire. Um, if I have any uh, scientists, chemists, or biologists out there and you want to uh, comment on this, definitely drop me a line, dtkane at dtkane.com, and I would uh, love to share your response to this on a future episode. Um, but okay, uh, so that's the plan for getting through the Firelands, and then we get the Weeping Plains, which is... I guess kind of the last bit of terrain before we get to the ruins of Tome, and that's where the cityless seem to primarily camp. Um, and the plan there is just to kind of avoid them. <laughs> All right, so Bass points out, well, your plan seems to depend a lot on not encountering the things that are dangerous. Um, and I'm sure as you can all kind of foresee here, um, that's not going to work. We're going to encounter lots of dangerous things here. In, in the coming chapters. So let's read on, on to chapter <clears throat> 15, Plans Never Survive Contact with the Enemy. You know, Baz has got a bad feeling about this. Uh, you know, he's like, a, like Han Solo here in The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> uh, you know, he's not used to things going right. Uh, you know, and he lists off kind of this litany of things that have gone wrong in his life. And, uh, well, I guess unfortunately for Baz, but uh, fortunately for us, because uh, the complications just make it more interesting, right? Uh, you know, his feelings prove to be right. Uh, you know, they wake up early the next day, and just after a few hours of travel, they find the road blocked by felled trees. It seems the, the cityless have been at work kind of trying to block the competitor's way uh, to Tome. They don't want readers coming and interfering with their their camps around the ruins. So the uh, the only way to continue is to go off-roading into the trees. Um, they follow a path that they find there until uh, an odd assortment of sticks draws their attention. Um, and it proves to be not a good idea to go investigate these sticks, right? You know, Rox does just that, and then he falls into a hidden pit. You know, the cityless seem to have created a trap here for, for travelers. Baz goes to investigate, then rushes back to Deliritus. We have a problem. <laughs> what could it be? What's down there uh, in that pit? We do see uh, Rox is still alive down there, right? So we know he's not dead. Um, but what do we think is down there uh, with him? What's this big problem that has uh, sent Baz frantically running back to Deliritus? And, well, uh, ending you on another cliffhanger here, so you'll come back and listen next week. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what's down there. Um, only other note here. I did. Uh, I noticed an error here in Chapter 15. I'm going to have to go back and correct this in a future edition. Um, but kind of towards the end of Chapter 15, Deliritus is frantically uh, calling to, to Baz, and he actually calls him Baz several times. Um, that, is a, that was not intentional. Um, I think... I've mentioned before, you know, Tax is really the only person who calls Baz, Baz. Baz doesn't like people calling him by that shortened name because that implies he's friendly with them, right? <laughs> and Baz isn't friendly with anyone other than his brother. Um, 
so you know everyone calls him Bastion other than Tax. So I'm going to need to go back and try to fix that in a future edition. But uh, that's the life of the, uh, the independent author here. I can only proofread my stuff so many times before I just need to release it out there into the world. And obviously I have an editor, of course, but even the editor is not going to catch <clears throat> all of these things. So I hope you'll uh, forgive that little lapse there. You know, I bet most of you probably didn't even notice it, but um, there you go. I was reading it, and a oh, little facepalm, but uh, so it goes, uh, not the end of the world, but uh, there you go, I, I promised you a few weeks ago I would, I'd point out some of the bad along with all the good that I point out here, so there you have it. All right, so uh, homework for next week, we're going to read chapters 16 and 17. Uh, Baz does something unexpected to get rocks out of his predicament. Then we learn some things about rocks, and Deliritus does an about-face. Uh, so look out for all of those things and kind of think about uh, how you feel about them. And uh, I look forward to discussing all of those questions and more with you next week as we work our way through chapters 16 and 17. Uh, all right, last week's quest, I asked for some folks to speculate about what uh, or who, I guess, my inspirations for rocks were. I told you there were two characters uh, from relatively well-known fantasy works. Um, and uh, I got some interesting responses, and I'll just share, I'll just share the actual answer here. Uh, Practical Frost <laughs> from Joe Abercrombie's First Law Trilogy. Uh, some of the inspiration here. Uh, Frost is one of Glotka's practicals who, you know, they're kind of like his assistants. Uh, Glotka is a, uh, a torturer in, uh, in the first law trilogy, which starts with, uh, the blade <clears throat> itself. For those of you, uh, who don't, who aren't familiar, uh, excellent kind of dark fantasy trilogy that I'd recommend you read. Definitely, uh, <laughs> great, uh, often sarcastic dialogue in that, um, not the uh, not the happiest of, of stories, but just excellent <clears throat> excellent writing by Mr. Mr. Abercrombie. Um, and yeah, Practical Frost is this big giant guy and I think he has the face mask. That's kind of where I got the face mask idea um, for rocks. <clears throat> um, and then uh, Snorriver Snuggerson <laughs> from the Prince of Fools series. Actually, I think it's the Red Queen series, but Prince of Fools is the first book in the series by uh mark lawrence another great and entertaining series uh snorri is kind of like a giant a giant viking and uh especially uh, rox's deep voice um kind of uh, imagine how the narrator of the prince of fools audiobook does snorri's voice when i'm talking like rocks um so there you go uh some more behind the curtain stuff there about my my inspirations obviously um you know those characters are certainly influences but Rox is his his own character as well but um you know i definitely love paying homage to some of my favorite <clears throat> favorite authors and you know reading is uh one of the best ways to come up with new ideas for your own works uh let's see this week um i'd like you to share your favorite book reading experience with me um, I, m I mentioned in the newsletter that I sent out a few days ago, I'm uh, finally 
wrapping up my first read-through of the Wheel of Time series. I am on the last book, which is A Memory of Light, book 14 of the Wheel of Time. I'm currently reading The Final Battle uh, chapter, which is like 250 pages <laughs> of one chapter. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm almost like uh, not reading as fast as I normally would because I don't really want it to end. Um, but it's just, uh, it's been great so far, and I can't wait to see how it wraps up. I'm almost like nervous. <laughs> you know, books don't do that to you very often. Um, so uh, I'll share another favorite reading experience with all of you next week. But I would love to, oh, sorry, I'm kicking my headphones over here. Um, <clears throat> I'd love to hear some of your uh, favorite reading experiences, you know, that gave you a visceral reaction or made you cry or, you know, something like that that really stands out to you. Uh, I'd love to share some of those on next week's episode. So shoot me an email, dtkane at dtkane.com, or you can you could drop a message on Twitter. Or Facebook as well at DT Kane Author, <clears throat> if you uh, prefer those those platforms instead. Right, um, and with the quote here, as we always do, um, this one is from Frank Herbert in Dune. Uh, Dune's kind of like science fantasy, I guess, but but um, I guess people, many people will call it science fiction too. But whatever, it's close enough to fantasy. We're going with it. Um, survival is the ability to swim in strange water. Um, as I often do, I like this both for, uh, what we've been reading in the Actus Trials and also as good general life advice. Um, you know, Baz has already had to adapt his plans here, um, and, uh, you know, survival really is the thing that's at stake for him here. Uh, you know, either Deliritus is going to reveal that he's a cuss and either get him executed or at least blinded like his brother. And, you know, there are all these unknown dangers out in the wilds of oration. And also the two competitors are still out there at large. So lots of danger. So uh, Baz has to be thinking on his feet here uh, to make sure he, he keeps the old air going in and out of his lungs, <laughs> as Baz would like to say. Uh, and I also guess just, you know, more generally, uh, you know, the quote here again, survival is the ability to swim in strange water. You know, life is not always predictable. You get lots of curveballs, uh, right? So you can't always see what's going to happen. And you certainly don't always have control over what happens to you. But what you do always have control over um, and I'm just lifting this right out of uh, some Stoic philosophy here, but uh, you always have control over how you react to things that happen to you. Um, so that can be kind of a empowering <coughs> idea as well. If you hold on to that and kind of uh, help you keep an even keel through turbulent times. So, uh, you know, survive, figure out how to swim in those strange waters um and just always remember you can control how you react even if you can't always control what happens so there you go thank you uh mr herbert for that uh nice quote and that's a good way to end this week's episode so until next time this has been dt kane's epic fantasy book club two things one 
Marla still has her harbor and speaker, whereas Hellar, <coughs> Hellar, hello, Hellar, oh, <coughs> they've done a decent job of it, I'd say. Baz hopped down. Enunciate, la-da-da, <coughs> I'd say, period. Be silly, Bastion. Don't, man, I'm losing my, <coughs> losing my shrill deliritus voice here. <clears throat> oh. <clears throat> la, da, da, da. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, that note's not there. <clears throat> okay. Thanks for listening to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author, or send DT Kane an email at DT Kane at DT Kane.com. See you next week.